If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 587. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back in the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to McClanahanAcademy.com, where it's always free to enroll. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll, and you get the best deals on new and forthcoming courses. You also get great coupons. If you're listening to this and you want to get a great coupon, just use the coupon code PRESIDENTS at checkout at McClanahan Academy. You get 25% off any class. It's an honor of President's Day week, so it's a short time that you're going to get this, but PRESIDENTS, 25% off. That includes the bundle courses, which are already discounted. So it's a win-win. You get great stuff. And of course, you get a discount too. And you keep this podcast free of charge. Also, click on that support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Throw a few pennies my way. Get one of my books, wherever books are sold. Online, just go out there and look for my name, Southern Scribblings, The Jeffersonian Tradition on my latest two. You can also click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Share it around on social media and send me those show requests. And in fact, this is another listener-generated episode. So I don't always respond to your show request emails, but I do the podcast on it. So you know I read it because I went out and said, yeah, that would be a good one. So this is one that I found interesting because it has to do with Andrew Jackson And what I find interesting about this particular uh, post, the topic is blame your progressive district attorney on Andrew Jackson. So it's interesting to me that this is ostensibly coming from the the right. It's Wall Street Journal. It's an op-ed in Wall Street Journal. And so you've got individuals that are conservatives that are starting to say, well, look, the problem is local government. The problem in America is that we've got too much democracy. Now, look, I, I can I can understand that, and this goes all the way back to Arthur Schlesinger and the age of Jackson and how much how important it was for democracy and how we we democratized everything, and that's really great. It's progressive, and certainly this was an open question in uh, in the 1830s, 1840s. You go to 1829, for example, and you've got the Virginia Constitutional Convention, which is in some ways one of the most important political gatherings in the history of the United States. And the main argument there was for expanding the suffrage. Should they do it? Should they have a larger electorate? And the conservatives in Virginia were saying, absolutely not. We don't need to expand it out. We don't need to have more people voting. All that's going to do is corrupt the government. It's going to create problems. And have they not actually been proven correct? On the other hand, Part of the, of the allure of Think Locally, Act Locally in this podcast is getting out and getting involved in your local government. And that means being engaged with all these little elections that happen. Now, Gordon, John Steele Gordon, who writes this piece, makes a very uh, important argument 
that most people don't know who's running for their local government. So this is why we should have less democracy. The fact that we have so much democracy means that uh, we're going to have an environment where people can't be engaged or not going to be engaged. But really, he's missing the point here. The problem in America is not the local. It's the national. And that's because we focus so much attention on Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and whether uh, Tucker Carlson and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez actually like each other or uh, Ted Cruz and AOC, whatever it is. We focus so much attention on that nonsense or whether Joe Biden likes ice cream or whether Kamala Harris is uh, trying to eventually uh, you know, wish that Joe Biden uh, will leave office in some way or another so she can be president. We focus so much attention on that stupidity that we miss where government really happens, and that's at the local level. So much of what happens in your life is dictated by what goes on in your town, in your county, in your state. If you're uh, doing something like building a house, so much of the regulations and rules that go into building that house are, are based on what happens in your city council, your county council, the rules and regulations for construction, for example. Or maybe you're in the trade field and you have to worry about those things. Codes and all that other stuff. Or maybe it's something like you want to put a mural on the side of your business. This happened in the town where I live. A guy put a mural on the side of his business because they were trying to promote... The, the city was actually trying to promote art. Public art. Puts a mural on the side of the business in favor of the university. And now the city says you have to paint over it. Because it violates a city code... Uh, for these kind of for, for this kind of advertising. <clears throat> it wasn't even advertising for his business, but it violated that. And so now the guy's gonna have to spend the money. He spent the money to put it there. The city didn't pay for it. He spent the money to put the mural there and now he's got to paint it over. And the city council was they took a vote, a quick vote to try to exempt to try to change the rules real quick for the guy. It failed three to two. <laughs> because three people decided that they thought that this thing should go away. But you see, there's dopes on the city council. And this is the problem. You've got so many people engaged in the national and not really focusing on the local. And that's where we miss the real issues in America. And so I like this piece in one way in that he's actually focusing on one of the real issues in America is not Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. It's your state district attorneys. It's your it's your local officials that are causing a lot of the problems. So you see, you, the piece we talked about yesterday with Ken Burns, he's really worried about Virginia and Tennessee and Texas. Why? He lives in New Hampshire. Focus on New Hampshire. What's going on in New Hampshire? Should, I mean, you, you focus on New Hampshire, Ken Burns, and let the people of Texas and Virginia and Tennessee worry about Texas, Virginia, and Tennessee. I don't worry about what goes on in New Hampshire. I could care less what goes on in New Hampshire. You can do whatever you want there. I don't care because I don't live there. Same thing with Texas, Virginia, and Tennessee. I don't care what goes on in Texas, Virginia, and Tennessee. The fact is, if we had a real federal government, even the representatives from Texas, Virginia, Tennessee, and New Hampshire would have really no impact on my life, except for, well, let's make sure we have an open trade zone, we've got uh, a, a good trading policy with foreign nations, and we're defending our borders. That's it. That's the only thing I should have to worry about with the people from Texas, Virginia, and Tennessee. But because we've nationalized everything, I have to worry about ostensibly what happens in Texas, Virginia, and Tennessee because they could impact what happens to me in my state and New Hampshire, right? But I think that this piece, and it's, it's a short piece, so um, 
I'm going to to talk about you know how he's right about some things, but it's also a a great opportunity to show that you need to be thinking locally and acting locally. And if you really want to affect change, sink money into these local elections. George Soros has figured it out. He's starting to sink money into local elections so he can sway school boards and district attorney races because that's really where the rubber hits the road. It's it's where everything happens because if you can get these little minds of mush thinking one way when they're five and then they grow up and they think that way when they're 30, well, you've changed everything. And that's what we're seeing now. The idiots that are now running around like Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez came to these positions because of education, because of what they're taught as they grow up. Because of the environment they're in. So you got to change that. So John Steele Gordon says, as with most good things, it is possible to have too much democracy. Well, I mean, that's a, <laughs> that's a fact. You can't have too much democracy. Um, in fact, the Constitution was designed to thwart democracy, at least at the central level. Now, you could have more democracy at the state level if you want. In fact, I mean, it's something where you could actually ostensibly have it because you have smaller communities. You can actually have people voting and doing things if that's what you really want. But I mean, you look even at your earliest democratic republics like Athens, not everyone participated. So restricting the suffrage is something that we should really be talking about. You maybe in, in some way that's not uh, based on race or, or, or a sex, uh, but some way that you could say, well, I mean, these people are qualified to vote based on these things. For a while, it was property. Did you have, did you have skin in the game? Maybe it's a position where if you actually pay taxes, and what I mean by that is you pay taxes and you don't receive a big fat refund at the end of the year, for, and, and it's more than what you paid in. You're a net contributor. Maybe it's something like that. You get to vote, and if you're not a net contributor, you don't get to vote. If you're receiving more out of the government than what you paid in, maybe you don't vote. Uh, and that, I mean, that could be something in terms of taxes. Of course, you could just say, well, if you pay taxes, well, then everybody pays some kind of tax. Uh, even people that aren't here in the United States legally still pay some kind of tax because they go shop and they do things, so they pay a tax. Uh, but maybe they don't pay any income tax. We could look at it if you don't pay any income tax, right? Because that's where the general government gets most of its revenue is from income tax. So if you're not a net producer in income tax, that would actually eliminate about 50% of the people that could vote. They're gone. So now you have the 50% that do pay taxes. Or these are people... Uh, that can vote. I don't know. What, I don't know what that would do. I don't know how that would change the election. I don't. I mean, that, that's not really the point. It's just saying you have to have some skin in the game. Or maybe it's a test, something like that. You have to pass a civics test to be able to vote. It at least would put in a, put in a situation where you might know some basic functions of government. Now, of course, we know that the progressives and neocons would take it over and be all kinds of stupid questions. Uh, in fact, um, I, I did a, a show on this, or I talked about this at one point, how South Carolina passed a law that uh, the Constitution, the founding documents, have to be taught in your university. So I had a student who's a, at, at University of South Carolina email me and told me that uh, it, it's exactly as I predicted. So they're teaching it, but it's all taught through race, class, gender, right? They're going to have... They have um, this unit, this unit is based on how uh, Indians saw this, how women saw this, how minorities saw this, whatever it is. So they're teaching the document, but they're teaching it through a progressive worldview. So what good is that doing, right? So this idea, well, we just taught people the Constitution. Well, okay, do you want Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez and her ilk teaching you the Constitution? Would you want Sonia Sotomayor teaching the Constitution? Or... 
uh, Elizabeth Kagan? Would you want her teaching the Constitution? I wouldn't. I don't want them teaching it. Or some of the other legal scholars, quote-unquote, teaching the Constitution. I don't want them teaching the Constitution because they're horrible at it. They don't know what it means. So it's not just enough to read it. You got. I mean, there, there's more to it than that. And this is the idea of textualism. Well, if we just read it, we know what it says. Well, is that true? I mean, we can see that it says that uh, we have the necessary and proper clause, the general welfare clause. What does that actually mean? Well, you got to know about originalism. You got to know about interpretation, what it meant when the people wrote it. Not just the text, but how they ratified it. Right? They said what it meant. So that's what we need to be paying attention to, not what we think it means now. So Gordon continues, the current district attorneys of Manhattan, Philadelphia, Chicago, St. Louis, San Francisco, Los Angeles, and elsewhere are perfect examples. All of them have made it a policy in the name of social justice and anti-racism to reduce many serious crimes to lesser offenses, set low or no bail, and decline to prosecute many crimes at all. Alvin Bragg, the new district attorney for Manhattan, for instance, announced on taking office that he would treat all armed commercial robberies, a felony under New York state law punishable up to 25 years incarceration, as mere misdemeanors, as long as the crime had not resulted in severe bodily injury. Public pressure forced him to retreat on this particular policy, but not on a variety of others that softened the law. So this is, I mean, this is true, right? We've got a bunch of dopes in elected offices in cities across the United States, which is a, an odd endorsement of not living in a city and trying to break these cities off of these states. I mean, look, these cities should be their own thing. And in reality, if you had people thinking locally and acting locally, you could choke the cities. You could make sure that the, the, the funding in those cities is uh, in a way, and you control what happens there. Remember, the cities are corporate entities of the state. So if you had a majority in the state of Illinois or Pennsylvania or Missouri, you could choke those cities out because if they don't do what you want, you just say, well, we're going to remove your charter. You, don't, you no longer have a district attorney. It's going to be the state district attorney now for the city of Philadelphia or Manhattan or whatever it is. Now, we know these states are also controlled by progressives. That's very difficult. So you know what? Don't live in those states. I mean, there's all kinds of things that you can do here to try to get out of this. But setting policy is not the job description of a district attorney. His job is to enforce the criminal laws as they are written by the legislature. This is also true. The excuse for claiming the power to rewrite laws has been prosecutorial discretion, the well-established authority of a prosecutor to decline to try a particular case if it is weak or because conviction might result in an injustice. But declining to prosecute whole cases, whole classes of cases on policy grounds is not prosecutorial discretion. It's, it's nonfeasance the non-performance of some act which ought to be performed, as defined by the fifth edition of Black's Law Dictionary. So this is, this is an interesting position. And prosecutorial discretion, now, if the law is unconstitutional, it's no law. So I could actually make a case for prosecutorial discretion on things that are unconstitutional. But in this case, it's not unconstitutional for someone to uh, be thrown in jail for armed robbery at the state level. You see, that doesn't violate the state constitution. So that would be a case of nonfeasance. Prosecutorial discretion, though, for something like, well, let's say it was a, a federal law that would uh, ban people from owning firearms. Well, you could say that's unconstitutional. The legislature might have passed it, but it's unconstitutional. And so the attorney general should not enforce that law, nor should the executive branch. 
The executive branch's job is to ensure that unconstitutional laws are not enforced. They're upholding the Constitution at that point. They're a check on the legislature. So in that way, I could actually make a case for this. No U.S. attorney would arbitrarily rewrite federal law to suit his personal politics. Well, wait a second. We know that they did. Not, not personally write it, but we know that uh, Obama's attorney general didn't, uh, didn't enforce parts of the Defense of Marriage Act, for example. And that was hailed as a big win, right? This was hailed as great. Obama, prosecutorial discretion. So that's a little bit of a misnomer. Gordon is, is not correct about that. Because U.S. attorneys are appointed by and serve at the pleasure of the president. If they depart from administration policy, they would be fired. And this is also true. I mean, they're appointed positions. So, But his point here is that because they're appointed, they're going to do what the president wants, which in the case of that, Eric Holder was doing what Barack Obama told him to do. So he wasn't enforcing that part of the Defense of Marriage Act. Because lead prosecutors in 47 of the 50 states are elected to their offices, they can be removed only by impeachment and in some states by recall and by the governor for cause. All these remedies are time-consuming, politically fraught, and in the case of recall petitions, very expensive. But why are district attorneys elected at all? The answer to that question is Andrew Jackson. Old Hickory was the first Westerner to become president and the first not born in the well-educated and affluent gentry class. In fact, Jackson had a lifelong antipathy to that class, which had run the country since its founding. He campaigned on ending the monopoly of government by the elite. Now, uh, Jackson, though, said some pretty nice things about Thomas Jefferson. He was talking about a moneyed aristocracy, um, and he was talking about the fusion of government and finance. These are the things he was interested in. Now, you could, I mean, this is his attack on the bank. He didn't like Nicholas Biddle, for example. But he really, I mean, he was a, he was a planter. He was a man of the, uh, he was a man of the, of the elite, I mean, Jackson wasn't that. And you look at how a lot of these members of the founding generation uh, were reared. I mean, John Adams didn't come from somebody that was really well off. Um, you know, so, and a lot of the men didn't. Uh, but th the fact is, uh, you know, Jackson is seen as this Western or this outsider. And so he represents a different type of people in America. Uh, one way to do that was by extending voting rights. At the birth of the Republic, all the states restricted voting to men of property, as England had always done. Well, I mean, that made sense. Only about 25% of males, for instance, were eligible to vote on ratifying the Constitution, the greatest political decision of their lifetimes. By the end of Jackson's presidency in 1837, the franchise had been extended to nearly all white males, making America the first country in the world to do so. It was a major advance in democracy. Believers in Jacksonian democracy, however, wanted more than advancing suffrage. They wanted increased participation in politics by ordinary people, including by holding public office. With large popular majorities in many states, Jacksonians were able to achieve this by rewriting state constitutions. And again, this is exactly right. I, I think that Gordon is 100% is correct on what's happening in the United States at this time. There certainly was a push for greater public participation in the government and extending the suffrage. The thoroughly Jacksonian New York State Constitution of 1846, which was used as a model for rewriting many others, required the election rather than the appointment of a host of state and local offices. These included county clerks, judges, and uh, coroners. Even the head of the State Bureau of Prisons was made an elective office. So you could say that, I mean, his point is that we've gone overboard in all of these, and we should go back to appointing some of these things. Now, there's two ways of looking at this, right? The other, there's actually a third way, which would be civil service. 
you're hired into these jobs. County clerk is hired. A county judge is hired. County coroner is hired. So you can be fired. Now, that could be in a way of, of appointing, but you're hired to them. Now, who does the hiring is the question. Who would hire a judge, for example? Or should we have judges? You know, I mean, you, you, can, you can run as a judge and be political about it because uh, decisions are political often at times. So that would be the civil service reform of the 1880s. We had so many positions that were appointed that the pushback was, at, even at the federal level, we need more civil service jobs. So we don't have uh, uh, Charles Guiteau running around shooting the president, right? Because he's a stalwart of the stalwarts. So Gordon continues, but this is too much democracy. For one thing, none of these offices make public policy and therefore candidates can make no campaign promises other than to be efficient, honest, and faithful to the law. The same promises their opponents will inevitably be making as well. So at best, it comes down to a personality contest. Well, I mean, is that necessarily true? You can say, I mean, they know your background. You can say, you can say anything you want about your politics. And of course, that's going to lead to people maybe to vote for you. For another, most people find politics, especially its nuts and bolts, boring. They don't much care who runs the prisons or files documents in the town clerk's office unless there's a scandal. Therefore, most voters either vote the party line or don't even bother casting a ballot for these offices. Often, they have never even heard of the candidates. So again, this is my point about thinking locally and acting locally. Why? Why is that the case? Why have people not heard of these people? Why do we have such apathy at the state and local level? Well, because people focus too much on the center. So Gordon's correct about this. People don't get involved. That's why I'm trying to tell you in this podcast all the time to get involved in these things. Get involved in state and local politics because, again, this is what matters. This is what matters. In states and cities that usually vote for one party or the other, the winner of that party's primary is very likely to be the winner in the general election. But primary voters are almost always a small and highly motivated part of the electorate. They are likely to be political ideologues, not a cross-section of the party electorate as a whole. But again, get involved, right? You want to be, if you, this is always true, a very small group usually controls politics at the state and local level. And you got to get in that group. Or you have to have your faction that can do it, and you control it, right? It can, be, it can happen so much easier at the state and local level than it can in Washington, D.C. If you had 100 hardcore people in your community, you could make, you could move mountains, if you have 100 hardcore people in, in, in uh, your state, you can't do anything. And if you have 100 hardcore people for the United States government, good luck. Right? You can move mountains at the state and local level. This gives political professionals an opening to control these offices as effectively as they did before the Jacksonian reforms. Even worse, it empowers billionaires such as George Soros to fund their preferred candidates' campaigns with sums their opponents can't hope to match. In a campaign of nobodies, even a little name recognition can make all the difference, as we have seen with the sudden rash of Soros-backed hard-left district attorneys. This is also true, but you know, there's a solution to that. You try to, you can raise money, and you know what? I think uh, for all the things that I dislike about Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, one of the things that she did well was go door to door and knock on doors and say, "Hey, I'm running." I'll never forget. In my uh, in a city I lived um, during a mayoral can, uh, contest, people actually showed up to your house to try to get you to vote for the candidate, and um, they did on, on behalf of the candidate. Okay, look, this is going to be an important election. We want you to vote. 
for this candidate. Please vote for this candidate because the other guy is awful. And so that personal connection, just simply knocking on doors, how many people even bother to do that? Now we see it for campaign ads. Joe Biden goes out knocking on doors. Go vote for me. You know, and you, every now and then you get the, the uh, photo op where the guy's knocking on doors. But, I mean, this really does happen on local level, and it works, right? It works. You have conversations with people. You tell them what you think. Most people are going to be polite. Some people won't, but most people are going to be polite, and they'll just say, I don't, I mean, I don't know, or they'll, I mean, but, but that name recognition, that connection to people matters. If you're good at that, you can win local elections all day long. So he says, overcoming the unintended consequences of Jacksonian democracy won't be easy, as it usually requires amendments to state constitutions. Scandal, however, has often highlighted the perversity of too much democracy and made reforms possible. Jacob Fuchsberg, a very successful tort lawyer, used a slick campaign to win a seat on New York State's highest court in 1974, despite complaints from the state's Bar Association about his lack of qualifications. He would later be the first member of that court ever censured for misconduct by his fellow judges. New York changed its constitution to have judges to that court, court appointed. Perhaps the Soros district attorneys dedicated to a political agenda rather than to justice will allow the process of reforming Jacksonian democracy to continue. So um, he's saying, well, maybe this corruption, scandal and corruption, will make it to where we get rid of this stuff. Or maybe people will realize, I've got to get out and get involved because I don't want these people representing us. So you could do it. You could do it. Uh, but it's going to take some effort. And I think, again, this is Think Locally, Act Locally in Action. I like that this piece was sent to me because uh, and it has that historical con context to it with Jackson. I think that's great. And then, of course, the Think Locally, Act Locally component, getting involved, that's also great. These are really important lessons. We've got democracy on the state and local level. It's probably not going anywhere anytime soon. Mass democracy. So use it to your advantage. Get people active and engaged. It's not always easy. You're not always going to win, trust me. And you're going to get frustrated at times. But you know what? You're going to have victories. You're going to be able to knock some of these people back because you're going to be organized and dedicated to it. And I think that is the key to all of this. But you got to be willing to get outside your comfort zone and actually get engaged. So forget about Joe Biden and focus on you know, your mayor and your state, your local district attorney, your state representatives. Those are the people that you need to be having relationships with because they're the ones, at the end of the day, they're going to be the hedges against all the nastiness that comes out of your schools if you can't control those, outside of universities, which you can't control, and outside of the, of the leftist, progressive losers, the busybodies that are out there trying to change everything in America all the time for the worse. All right. I'll see you next time on The Brian McClanahan Show. See you then. <laughs> 